2020 was the ultimate A-B test, except it was the ultimate A test, right? Because we just had to put digital to work, right? And so now we know, now we're gonna incorporate it in what we do, and then the reinvention, right? Which is, you know, how do we reposition ourselves, both in not just messaging and competitive differentiation, but can we build a platform that allows us to compete in the future? The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Did you miss me? I hope so. The B2B MX podcast is back for another season. I'm so stoked to kick things back up again after our little summer break. So if you're new to the pod, welcome. My name is Claudia Tarico, and I'm the editor of Demand Gen Report, which is the host of the B2B Marketing Exchange events. As the editor of DGR, I have the honor of not only handling all of our editorial content, but I also get to build the content agenda for our events and recruit our speakers. Um, and of course, I get to host this wonderful podcast. So um, if you're a returning listener, welcome back. We've got another great season filled with unique interviews and session replays from our most recent event, the B2B Sales and Marketing Exchange, which we just hosted this past August in person this year. Yes, you heard that right. We were back to in-person after a really, really, you know, long year of Zoom calls and virtual events. So it was really, really great to be back. Um, it, it was a little weird, of course, and a lot changed. Things were smaller and more intimate. And of course, the health and safety of our audience was our top priority. Um, but we were thrilled with the turnout. And, and I'm just so excited to share some of the top sessions from that event on the podcast this season, which covered everything from account-based experiences, revenue operations, demand generation, and channel marketing. I'm also so excited to announce that we are going back to Scottsdale for the B2B Marketing Exchange this February. It's going to be held February 28th through March 2nd at the beautiful Phoenician Resort. So yeah, registration is now open. And honestly, I've been really, really busy working on the agenda, which I think you will love this year. There's going to be a ton of new speakers and of course, some fan favorites coming back to share their stories of success, survive and just their insights for the future. So check out the website. I'll include the link in today's show notes. Uh, you could sign up for updates because we will continue to add more to the agenda in the coming weeks. So be on the lookout for that. And of course, register if you're up for it. I really, I can't wait to see our B2B community in Scottsdale uh, in 2022. So hopefully you can make it and join us. So we closed out last season with an interview with Craig Rosenberg, a distinguished VP and analyst at Gartner, who gave us a sneak peek into his keynote at B2B SMX and, and really shared his expertise and insights on the heightened relevance of ensuring omnichannel communication um, and, and really 
making sure that it remains consistent as, you know, we all return to all of this face-to-face engagement, right? And he also covered how that 2020 pivot really influenced marketing technology, strategies, data, and campaigns. Uh, So it was a great episode. Check it out if you didn't get to listen to it yet, uh, because I'm prepping you uh, for the season with Craig Rosenberg once again. So since Craig closed out season four for us, I thought it was only fitting to kick off season five with this stellar keynote from B2B SMX. And during the presentation, Craig really explained that one of the biggest changes for organizations was the renewed focus on ICPs or ideal customer profiles, which have quickly found their place as a cornerstone of marketing campaigns, right? And according to Rosenberg, marketers and salespeople in 2021, and and personally, I think, and beyond, should really focus on their ICPs to find best fit accounts while adopting data-driven go-to-market strategies that allow them to prioritize accounts for more meaningful engagement. So honestly, Craig really set the stage for the entire B2B SMX event with his opening keynote in August. And I'm just excited to share the session with our listeners today to actually set the stage for the rest of the season. So sit back, relax, and listen up. I'm rolling the tape in three, two, one. So you guys, welcome back. I mean, it is so exciting to be here. I There's, there's so much for me to unpack here. Number one is I'm in a casino in Boston. I had no clue. So like when I told my wife, yeah, you know, it's gonna, I'm gonna travel. She's like, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna travel? Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's Boston. Don't worry about it. You know, we'll just do some, you know, we'll go to one of those hotels, whatever. Then I'm looking through and I'm going, wait, Encore? And then you know that picture of that lobby? It looks just like the one in Vegas. I'm just going, oh my god, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. And then it's like, okay, a win thing, but there's no casino. I walk in last night, and then you just see the slot machines. You hear the dinging. I'm like, holy crap, I'm in a casino. So I had to call my wife this morning. Ah, oh, things are going fine. Yeah, traveled out here. Oh, and by the way, I'm not only out here with you know doing my thing, but I'm also in a casino, right? Where I'm back. I'm back, and I'm feeling it, and I'm very excited, and you are too. So anyway, I just want to thank you guys for having me today. I um, uh, when we were talking about what we were going to talk talk about, right? With Andrew, he he gave you a little bit of a preface, which is. You know, he said, hey, Craig, you know, we really want to start to talk about this convergence story, right? This collective revenue generation, which is great for me because that's literally what we're doing at, at now at Gartner, okay? Which is we're talking about, instead of talking about different functions, even instead of just talking about, you know, some of the go-to-market strategies or some of the pieces of what we do, right? We're talking about this co- idea of collective revenue generation. And the other thing Andrew said is, you know, bring some data, et cetera, and I've got that for you guys today. Okay, so look, I feel like, uh, I just told Sangram, you know, I mentioned the word alignment, he's like, I think it's like a dirty word now. Um, And uh, we did kind of sully it a bit, right? I mean, I I was gonna come and do like a Google trend so we can look at the word alignment, um, just because we, I swear I wrote blog posts about it in like 2005, because we all thought, on the marketing side, we thought if we gave people leads, it would all be good and we'd be aligned again. We just hadn't sort of pieced together the whole story. I will say that I do think account-based in ABM or whatever you want to call it 
was one of the significant moves to bring us all together, and I'll talk about that throughout. But the big thing I think 2020 did, you know, it, it, it allowed us to have a reason to go make change. And so this is actually from chief sales officers. You'll see that term CSO throughout my presentation. That's what we call McGartner. Um, I'll try, you know, I think it's some I put CRO, but, but like nobody's going back to normal and that's great, right? But we have a couple things that people are doing. So one is this idea of rescale. So we're going to take the, 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 these new effective and efficient routes to market. I heard someone talking about how like 2020 was the ultimate A-B test, except it was the ultimate A test, right? Because we just had to put digital to work. Right, and so now we know, now we're gonna incorporate it in what we do, and then the reinvention, right, which is, you know, how do we reposition ourselves, both in not just messaging and competitive differentiation, but can we build a platform that allows us to compete in the future? One of the things I noticed, I'm not gonna spend a ton of time talking about today, but I will just tell you is, uh, there were some organizations that were ready for the moment last year. Right, the, the ability for sales and marketing for everyone in the organization to come together and go do things fast was an easy way for me to tell. Because we had to work fast and we had to do it all together. And so that, that for me is a big thing. As we think about what we're gonna do and we go through reinvention, right, did we, did we learn? I think so, but I also think we knew a lot of it. and We just did it. We just did it. And so I, I grabbed a couple things that I'm thinking about in terms of this aligned revenue machine. And there's sort of two parts to it. One is, um, you know, are, were these the factors that brought us together? And will these be part of this new revenue machine that we will employ going forward? So one is a cross-functional coalition. We use the word coalition purposely. Uh, you guys, you don't have to do trust falls and, you know, everyone was, oh, and we go out to lunch every month. Okay, great. You know, that's fine. I, I, you know, I, maybe some virtual lunch. It's fine if you guys are, have that interpersonal relationship. You don't need it, right? But we do need this coalition of working together and looking at things from an end-to-end -end perspective. And then I'm just coming around the side. You know, it's the, the targeting of last year. I'm going to talk about that. You know, whether you called it account-based or not, targeting was a unifier, a huge unifier. I don't know if we realized it, but we certainly realized it last year. Because once we got in the room and decided who we're going to sell to, things changed. How we worked together and the things that we agreed on were much different. We're orchestrated. For us, there's two ways we describe it. One is interconnected workflows, okay, which is a very technical term. The other one is this one, orchestrated. I always tease the, the ABM vendors. Orchestration was such a cool word. It was. I loved it. Like, well, should we use the word orchestration? Hell yeah, we should. It sounds so killer, right? Except, you know, it was kind of hard, and it shouldn't be, okay? The reality is, is we're, we're starting to learn how to do these workflows together, and the tech is advancing in a way that allows us to do it automatically, right? But also, it's because we have to, and I have some data to show you on the buyer that will tell you you've, we've got to play in an orchestrated way. We're hyper-automated, everyone in this room knows that. I doubt there's anybody in here who hasn't invested substantially in tech. And the, the last one is flexibility, versatility and agility. You know, as you start to think about what the way we were before 2020, I'd have people go, hey Craig, should I do ABM or you know, should we do velocity? The answer was yes, 
all of them. And we'll, you know, you have to have this ability to launch, scale up, scale down, different go-to-market strategies, not one or the other, right? Most of you, as you grow, will need to have at least two, um, if not more. All right, so let's get some data up there, huh? So this one's my favorite because it's the, literally, you guys, what a, what a question. Hey, you know, do you have any data that says it's better to be aligned? You need data for that? I mean, what kind of person are you? <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's like, seriously, you need data that tells us that when teams work together to go drive revenue, it's better? Okay, here it is. You know, the tech CEO group looked at, um, they pulled the CEOs actually of this, which I thought was even more interesting, and looked at the top performers in the set. And of those, 80% said that they were well aligned, okay? That shouldn't be a surprise. This is the kind of data it's like, um, you know, of course, right? And then, you know, the everyone else, the folks that didn't make the high performer list, 41% said that their organization was often at odds. The big thing is, is we're talking more now. And when people ask me what, what happened in 2020 is, here's what happened. March, right, we all had to get in a room, a virtual room for many of us, and we had to go figure things out together. And we had to do it in a week. That was the scariest and greatest thing that could ever happen to sales and marketing and SDR and whoever. Is that, that, old, that in days we were on the same page where for years we were not. So we asked the CSOs and the CROs this. We said, you know, how, you know, how much more time are you spending with different functions in the organization? Marketing comes in at 60%. Now, here's the thing. That's a big leap from our previous data that it says up there in the slide. But here's the other thing that I told you know, our team, which is like, look, CSOs, CROs, they never like to admit this. That number is low, right? Because for whatever reason, about, I would say there's another 15% in there of folks that are like, well, I can't really, you know, yeah, I mean, we do, but you know, whatever. I'm going to give it, I'm not going to give it the, uh, the thumbs up. So 60% is actually probably 75%, honestly. I mean, it's just, I've been polling uh, sales leaders for years and there's this resistance sometimes on, the, on these, these things like working with marketing, et cetera. So we'll give it a 15% lift here. But even so, right, when they are thinking about all the folks that they're working with more, um, you know, it's the marketing side. So I'm trying, you know, one of the things I wanted to bring to the table were examples. Here's the thing, guys, like this first set of slides on alignment and bringing people together, it's like the rest of the deck, right? So all the other things I'm talking about are talking about in an aligned way. So what would I give as an example here? I love this, actually. It sounds very tactical after sort of talking about this big idea, but this was from one of our clients that is incredibly aligned, okay? Like they do... They do meetings together, well, at least in, in working with me. It's, it's not one or the other in the room. They're always together. And one of the things they make a big deal about is their meeting cadence. And they advertise it and they talk about it. But, you know, the thing for me that was really important is they're talking about the right things. And it's not ad hoc haphazard. It's the things that we need to go work on together. And they set it up and they advertise it like this is not, they didn't make up this slide. They didn't say, hey, I got to go um, collect these things. These are the things that they go meet on and they're proud of it. So this communication strategy is part of it. It is. 
it's not just communicating, though. It's what you communicate, and it's the things that you go work on. And I think we did bits and pieces here and there. There was like annual planning. There was this stuff, but like, man, if you want to take this just thing that happened in 2020, we got in the room and re-strategized in a week. And now how do we keep this thing going forward? How do we keep this idea of working together? Communication's part of it. I mentioned that, I mean, look, guys, to me, one of the biggest things that happened is from account-based in general, this is pre-2020, it's even more so in 2020, was that we were able to eliminate a ton of friction by agreeing on the ideal customer profile. That, you know, if, if we didn't have 2020 and someone came to me and it was one of the Sangram's interviews, he's like, so Craig, what did you learn on ABM? I'd say, I learned one thing, which is forget all the other stuff. If you can agree on who you're going to sell to as a group, as an organization, right, your ability to be aligned, converged, collaboration, all of, the, all of those things are like 500% more likely, right? And then last year, we all had to go in and do these crazy market pivots. The thing I noticed was it wasn't just the pivot, it was this idea that now we could finally, as a group, articulate who we sold to. That was hard before. It may not be at your organization, right? But for most of them that I worked with, it was hard. How we could get everyone aligned on who we sell to required some change. It required the hard right turn. It required a little bit of fear, okay? So one of the things is, I think you guys know this, I don't have to spend a ton of time on what the ideal customer profile is, but what I do think is what I just told you, which is when everyone couldn't talk about it, it's data-driven but easy to understand, okay, then we're in a good place. Did we learn that before the pandemic? Yeah. Is it like way more prevalent than ever before because of the fact that we had to go in and redefine? The answer to that is yeah. The other thing we noticed is we used to, as an analyst firm, say, well, like, don't change this thing too often, right? Um, and guess what? The world is different. You do have to change it. You have to prepare to adjust. And 2020 isn't just, it's not just about 2020, it's about business is moving so fast. It's, I mean, you guys don't need to tell me that because your competitor of yesterday that you had an advantage of is now equal to you or past you in a week. A new competitor came out of nowhere. The business environment, we're up and down on the COVID thing, you know, whatever that might be, right? It's impossible to settle in and it's okay because everyone's so data-driven now that I'm more confident that we can make adjustments to the ideal customer profile. We had this one client, and I, I was so nervous about them. It was, so, it was a very sales-driven perspective. But they kept, basically what they would do is they would look at um, inbound leads that converted into meetings or opportunities, and they combined it with any kind of data they could get, whether it was um, intent data, right, other forms of data to figure out new markets. Now, generally speaking, one of the things we try to do in account base is to be more targeted. But their point was, well, look, we don't know. Nobody knows. So we have this, you know, we want to be able to test and see, like, mix and match in the ICP. My first reaction was because I was coming from the old perspective of mine was like, whoa, guys, like, you can't be changing all the time. Boy, was I wrong. This was amazing. They had a team, though, 
right? A pro it was a product marketing and sales team that basically when the data told them to go look at a new additional type of account to enter into the ideal customer profile, they would go into action, they would test it, they would have a team of folks that would just test out, um, out you know, outreaching to these folks, reaching out to these folks, running marketing against these folks, right? And basically taking that initial indicator, being prepared to make changes to the ideal customer profile and target account list, test it fast, and then go. So I was wrong. We got to lay out an ideal customer profile. We want to be data driven and easy to understand. We got to be ready to adjust. I thought, you know, I've been seeing these really cool ideal customer profile, um, basically, I don't know what you'd call it, like techniques, strategies out there. I met with a CRO the other day. He said he walked into a new account. This CROs did not talk like this guys before. He walked in and said, well, we used to sell to everyone, and that's the problem here. There are 11 factors that make up an, an ideal customer here. And, and it was amazing to hear. And so what's my point, and why am I showing you this? Because you got to keep testing these things. Guys, it's too hard. And, you know, like, like the, the other big thing I learned on account-based was that we created this really cool idea, and it was cold calling and outbound. It was still hard. Right, we would say, wow, these are the target accounts, they fit really well, we're gonna throw all these things out, but it's still, we hadn't, like we, we just, it, it just was still so hard. Anything we can do to increase our odds, we gotta do it. This is an example, I can't spend forever on it, but I love this, this is like our, in our tech group, they've created these enterprise technology adoption profiles. These are things we never really factored into our ideal customer profile. We're very demographic and firmographic focused, which by the way I get, and I'm still all in favor of, but like, what other things can we look at? Can we look at how they buy? And so, I, you know, like I said, this is our sort of Myers-Briggs test for uh, companies and markets. And looking at planning, right? Are they, is it a flexible, accommodating, or strict market, right? Do they, are they willing to change? Um, control, right? Who controls how they buy? That changes typically, as you guys know, when you're dealing with enterprise and the type of vertical, et cetera, those things we need to know, right? Um, and then, you know, what type of, like, what's their pace of change? Are they moving fast or not? So, look, my main point is this. I'm trying to give you guys examples of thinking outside the box. It's not enough anymore to just go, yeah, we sell to companies over X you know, range of employees. It just doesn't tell you enough, right? We can do better because we have data and we have new techniques and new ideas. We learned a lot, like I said, in 2020 where we had to sell to the right people. The other innovation wasn't just how we identified the ideal customer profile and that set of target accounts and fit was our ability to prioritize, right? Which is where we take that list of target accounts and then we can know when. That's what I was saying before on account base, but the biggest issue I created for the world is like, I said, hey, let's go do this, right? And then, you know, we all started talking about account base. I was up on stage and I had these great ideas, except it was, like I said, it was still hard, right? And now we have data that tells us when, not just who, but when, okay? And that is, for us and all of us, very exciting. This is one of the predictions from um, uh, the Gartner for um, uh, our technology leaders group, that by the end of 2022, more than 70% of B2B marketers will utilize third-party intent data. Third-party intent data vendors are taking a picture of this. 
The, um, but it's true. Look, here, here's how we think about it. So one of the things, the SDR group at um, Topo, now Gartner, one of the things we, we made this word up called engageability. Because we wanted, a, there's a group of things we need to look at. We, last year, needed to help companies uh, do, make things easier, right? Because you guys know this, this doesn't work where you're just like, we need to outbound more. Could you make more calls and send more emails? That's not just it, right? It's part of it, but it's not just it. We had to make good decisions on who. And we went out and we were talking to organizations and very early on last year in the pandemic, there were some really easy things people were doing that we all forgot, right? They called previously engaged uh, contacts, people that had, I mean, Mark, by the way, marketers will tell you we, we should have been calling them the whole time, but it was like, you know, three months ago they came in and did something, those folks were more likely to engage. Easy stuff. But then we started to see more and more of the intent data come, come alive, right? And that was just, it's a very exciting idea, of course, but remember what we're trying to do. Whereas these things that we know are at our disposal, those are in the purple, right? Can we call current customers? That was common last year. Can we call folks that have engaged recently or are scoring well, remember lead scoring? That thing, we needed something, some indicator. But what about the indicator that told us what was happening on third-party internet? And that has, for us has been one of the reasons why we make that prediction at Gartner and one of the reasons why it's a very hot market is we need any kind of indicator we can get. Okay, so let me answer this question, which is, Craig, what intent data should I buy? I wish I knew where the vendors were just to see if they're waiting to see if I recommend them. The answer, is the same one I give for content syndication, which is you should buy them all. <laughs> and you gotta test them all. And you gotta put them in play because God willing, if the thing works, guys, you sh there shouldn't be a limit. This isn't like a, all or not, these things are, these things work for folks, right? And to the extent that they do, right, you, this, this should be one where like in content syndication, if you went and said, well, should I buy leads from so-and-so, it'd be like, Sure, try it, but like there's all these other folks. Let's see what works, what combination works for you. It's the same thing here. This game is the same. We have access to data, okay, that we've never had before that allows us to be smarter and better about when. That is a big advance, right? And by the way, guys, the one thing coming out of 2020, we're looking very inward, but if you look outward, it's gonna be harder than ever to reach people, right? It's gonna be harder than it already is. So everyone, I forgot to do this. It was in my notes. Craig, what happened to account-based? What happened to account-based marketing, all these things? I have this incredible experience right now with account-based. So first of all, I actually think because we aligned on the ICP, it was like this, this boon for account-based. Because we're talking about it in the sort of big and the menu of things that you needed to do. The reality is, once we went in a room and decided on who we were going to sell to, it was like, okay, cool, now what do we go do? The answer was account-based. I, I don't know who I was talking to. I, you know, I'm in the Gartner for Sales Leaders group, so I'm talking to these CROs from companies that are you know, non-tech, non-coast, like these folks are billion-dollar-plus companies. And they don't know what ABM is necessarily, but they know that they made data-driven choices on who to go sell to. Now they gotta go figure out how to go do it and they need to go do it together. So, account-based, the tail kind of wagged the dog. We kind of backed in and we said, well, 
like, okay, Craig, we have, a, we have figured out our target market. We've refined it. We bought some you know, more data that tells us when. So now what we should go do, and now it was, a, it was this opportunity to introduce this idea of account-based and this idea that we could go together. And I, I learned a lot from this experience so far, which is one, it wasn't the acronym, it wasn't what we called it, it was this idea that some accounts are better than others. And if you can acknowledge that and do that, you are account-based. And if you are account-based, and since everyone's doing that, account-based is just part of what we do going forward. It's, we had to make a big deal about it because we had to drive change, but now it's just integrated into what we do. Okay, so let's talk about orchestration. The great word, it was just a great word. It was just still very, it was viewed as fundamentally still manual and pretty hard. But for us, it's just the multiple channels and multiple functions, right, to get into this specific list of target accounts, okay? I wanna show you some data that I think will tell you what, why orchestration. Um, so one is, there's two data points here. When, when uh, Gaffney and I were getting ready for this, I threw these out at him because I, I had just seen these and, uh, pieces and I was like very excited to show to you guys. But this spoke to me. So we asked uh, buyers in our buyer survey, when, you know, when you're basically looking for information across your sales process, do you prefer the sales rep or digital website, you know, whatever that might be? This is the only time I will show you a table where there's no difference between the bars because that's important. There's no preference. They'll take, they'll, it's wherever you get them and however you deliver it. Sure, if you ask them, right, yeah, we'd rather be 70% down the buying cycle or whatever, but at the end of the day, how they get the relevant information, that, there's, no, there's no preference here. That starts to tell you something about the channels, right? Is that it wasn't just this thing that we had this idea of orchestration, right? It was this thing that we don't know. We want to be able to increase our odds because we just don't know. The other thing that made it really tough that I thought was really amazing is everyone, if you are a CMO, you're in marketing, guess what? You did an amazing job for the last 10, 12 years with content. Here's the issue, is everyone got really good at content. I know, it's kind of brutal, but like it is a very interesting idea, which is we were so good that now we've overwhelmed them with trustworthy and good content. We always assume, you know what I mean? It's like people up here on stage, they always make, talking about bad content and like brochureware and all these things. Actually, I'm up here to tell you, you guys have all created really good content. It's just still very confusing, and let's be honest, it's all very similar. In your market, you know, there's, it's too easy to copy people in content. So you, we will see content roll out and we'll see multiple vendors, even tangential vendors to that category come out with the same thing. So what do we know now? We know we, that, that sort of big bang content piece, you need as many big bang content pieces as you can. You weren't wrong on that, right? Um, the channel you choose, we got to use them all. You guys, the orchestration idea was just really cool. It was awesome. It was like this eye candy thing I was going around. But now I've realized we just need it because we got to find, we got to go to anywhere we can <laughs> to meet these folks, 
everyone's saying, well, meet them where they are. They're on the internet. Yeah, they are. They're also answering, you know, emails out of, um, from your sales reps, right? They're also, well, they're not necessarily answering the phone. We can talk about that at a different time. Um, LinkedIn, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we have to now, but you can, guys. This was the thing. I realized we had blown up orchestration to the point where everyone was like, oh my God, we can never do that. Really? You already do ads and you know, marketing emails and personalization, right? You, everyone's hot on direct mail. You're doing that. And then your SDRs or your salespeople have their sales engagement platforms and they're doing outreach. Can we just do it to the same people with the same message at roughly the same time? That's not too much to ask, folks, whether you have the automation or not. The reality is, you got it. And why wouldn't you? It's the same thing as I was talking about before. It's like, well, do you think it's better to do all of these? You mean, uh, while the SDR is reaching out to someone, they're getting blanketed by ads and other potentially valuable materials during direct mail? Oh, no, that can't be better. It's way better to cold call. Just do that, yeah. Just have them pick up, yell at them to pick up the phone. This is better, but also it's necessary because we're losing the content advantage, right? We don't know what channel. We don't want to lock ourselves into a channel. We want to do multiple ones. Okay. So go to market. So one thing I think that's really important here is um, we got to be able to host, right, launch, execute, measure, optimize different go-to-market strategies within weeks. We did it last year. We're going to do it again. Because the reality is, guys, I think there's one thing that it took me a while to just admit when we were doing, and I keep talking about, I'm like remembering the account-based phase where it's like on account-based, we had to convince everyone on account-based, but we realized we were arguing against what they did before. And actually, we needed what we did before and account-based. And now you guys are going into product-led. We, pro we need product-led. You have channel. We need channel. All these go-to-market strategies, that has to be part of our platform. We have to be able to use it when appropriate. I just gave you this example here, which is like, guys, in the SMB market, you are going to be uh, digital-centric. You got, marketing's got to drive a ton of leads, right? In the mid-market, it's like 50-50. And in the enterprise, it's like 20%, 30%, just pure sort of lead-driven stuff. Everything else is account-based. I think you guys all know this, but that's old data, by the way, don't get too crazy on that, but it's been roughly the same for most people. And it's just one of those things, it's like, okay, well then we need multiple strategies, right? And we can test them and we can run them, but we also need these strategies to go into new products. Like that's been really interesting for me, is I'm talking to these more um, Main Street type companies that are getting ready to launch essentially software, subscription type products. Companies that have never done anything like this before. And that's how they talk. They're like, we don't have the go-to-market. We can't spin it up, right? And I realized, ah, there's another example of, we want our new platform going forward, right? To be able to, to, be able to say, this is the right go-to-market for this new product, this new vertical, this new region, okay? Whatever that might be, we could test it because we have the data. And we can optimize it. We can pull back. We can scale up, scale down. The 2020 was a very interesting uh, case study here, including for folks that have multiple go-to-markets. I remember meeting with one MarTech vendor who in March last year said, should I shut down the SMB team? And I, mean, I have no idea. 
right? But that was their first instinct, right? Because they were initially, as I don't know if this happened to you, but Q1, everyone did close out their enterprise deals, right? So it's like, wow, we're gonna overweight to the enterprise. So they moved, they moved people around, and in like a week and a half, they had most of their focus in the upper mid-market in the enterprise. Then the SMB started flowing. I don't know, Q2 last year, our data said SMB mid-market, particularly tech mid-market, that started to flow. They started to buy, right? So can we come back? The answer was yes, they came back. They mobilized resources back, marketing spun back up digital efforts, right? And now they had basically done two pivots to two different go-to-market strategies within two months. That sounds hard, actually. You guys might say, think it's easy, but it's, it is hard. But now we gotta build for it. So one of the big hits that we had at Topo was this idea we called the double funnel, which was because we had realized that one of the holdbacks on account base was the fact that um, people had sort of created, they had sort of been addicted to a, a volume model of how they track things. And they said, well, how am I gonna track it? And we said, well, look, it's not one or the other. As we build our, um, our ability to launch go-to-markets, we have to have that ability to measure them. You're gonna have multiple funnels, okay? So before the pandemic, I met with a, billion, uh, this a $30 billion company. They had brought in this guy to run marketing ops and they had said, look, we want everyone to run on this metrics model and this go-to-market strategy. There's 40 different product groups, go out and do it. And for a year and a half, he went out and then he came back and he said, guys, there isn't one, there's five. There's not 20, don't worry, but there's five. There's five different ways we go to market. And we wanna be able to support all five. We're gonna have slight variations of metrics for each, but we wanna be able to go to the product group, go to that division and be able to say, hey, like, tell us about your target market. Okay, we feel like you should do this strategy. And it's locked and loaded and ready to go. And it, it's about, you know, it's about so many things other than just the metrics. But for us, that was like a big breakthrough was, you know, as organizations needed to figure out whether things worked or not, right? We had to be able to say, it was like, it was like this, almost like a, I don't know, I think about it in the um, uh, Goodwill Hunting, right? When Matt Damon's in there and he just starts crying and Robin Williams like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault, right? And it's an emotional scene, by the way. I'm in Boston, for God's sakes. You guys got to love that thing. So the, um, but it, it was like, for us, it was this thing. It was like, I know, it's been hard. It's been hard, but it's okay. It's okay to have multiple go-to-market strategies. It's okay to have multiple metrics models. And that, that was really an important breakthrough. The big thing, though, is strategically, we want to be able to have these models and have double, triple, quadruple, whatever you need in order to look at these things and measure it. Yes, there's all these business processes that go with it, right? But you know, one of the key things you know, for us, certainly that we spent a lot of time working on with folks was the metrics. Okay, so let's talk about tech. Um, there's a, I have a, obviously a lot, a lot of tech data to choose from, but let's, let's, just, let's just go through a couple of things. So sales tech budgets are, you know, are continuing to grow, up 5% in 2021. Here's another one where the data is rough because sales tech buyers are, uh, they're not impetuous, they're, uh, they don't, they're not, it's the rigor of planning is not the same, right? It's just like, you know, an IT group, they have business process folks, they've got, um, you know, program project managers, right? In sales, you can still get a sales leader via a cold call and get them interested, right? It's okay, it's not an insult, it's just, 
if you plan, if they plan to be up 5%, they're likely going to spend more because that's what's been happening. It's one of the reasons why the arms race has been what it is in sales tech is that we just don't know. I mean, I do, I do CRO meetings like 10 a week on sales tech and it's like, hey man, give me the, let's lay it all out, give me the world. Okay, so it's up five, but it's probably up more. MarTech spend is, is basically the bulk of um, budget allocation for marketers and continues to be so. Um, you know, I mean, on a side note, I thought it was interesting to sort of slight decrease on the agency side, but no, nothing's too huge here. The big thing for me is, right, uh, we still spend a lot on the MarTech side. But the, but the big thing for me is, I, I just, I think we're coming together on how we think about tech. This one floored me. So guys, you gotta remember, I just started working at Gartner, so I'm rolling around there finding data points just like you might if you're a customer. Right, I'm going, hey man, what the hell? Where'd you find this? You know, where'd this come? I haven't built my own data, I'm just going out there. Finding. This one was crazy. So uh, we asked sales leaders where their budgets were going up and there was a 43% increase in their digital marketing spend. Now I know, there's lots of questions with that one. Right, what is it, what could it be? I get it and I'm sure you're gonna come up to me and the answer is I don't know. The most important thing for me is that they answered something in marketing as part of their spend and part of the fact that it was increasing. Because I do believe one of the things that we're doing and seeing as, an or, as a revenue organization is we're thinking about moving out of silos, okay, and thinking about a revenue tech stack, okay? So this is um, an example of essentially a view of the rev tech stack from a RevOps perspective from the high tech group. Is it very complicated? Yeah, but that's what we do, man. We throw complicated stuff at you guys. You go, wow, right? And then it's like, uh, but it is actually pretty fun to look at. So um, the key here is when we look, in my, in, in my opinion, when we look at RevTech, so there are things like in the marketing tech stack that we shouldn't necessarily, you know, that they should buy, but maybe not as, as uh, critical to thinking about it in the revenue tech stack perspective. Like there's a bag of tools marketers have perfected, a bunch of them are out here that are part of the game, but like I might not include that and when I'm looking at a revenue tech stack. I'm looking at the sort of big things um, that we should care about as a group and how they work together, right? So you've got infrastructure, data, workflow, engagement and delivery and measurement. So. And then, you know, these sort of ligaments that tie everything from a data perspective in between. The big message to you is this. I can't, you know, I'm not going to be able to go through all this stuff um, with you today. But, the, but as we look at it is the way, is not, we're not just making it up. Organizations are looking at it this way. Which is, if we're going to look at everything from an end-to-end -end perspective, and we're going to look at everything together, that includes how we look at the tech stack. And the new, this new idea should be the revenue tech stack, the things that literally touch the revenue process and have a, an effect on the revenue process. The other one I tell folks is, would the CRO care about it, right? And they do, they, many of the things they do care about on this that are, you know, basically, they probably wouldn't have 10 years ago, like marketing automation, account-based platforms, those things, right? They, they do actually care about and wanna understand. Okay. So I can't get out of anything, even though I've been locked in a room for a year and a half, um, without having to talk about um, AI and machine learning and those things. It's not that I don't like it, it's, I love it. 
right? It's that we're in a, we're in a process to get there and um, it can, it's like I either need to talk about that or talk about other things. So it's just a piece of this, but like I can talk about this forever if you'd like as well. But this was, this was the big one for me. I didn't really want marketer data because I feel like marketers have been trying to swizzle and figure out the AI machine learning things. I wanted, I, I was very excited to see the CSOs think about it. And this is really, um, again, there's probably more questions you have answered, but like 88% is an overwhelming number. And I'll juxtapose this with like a, a, basically an anecdotal story, which is we first started Topos, it was like six and a half years ago, we did this AI study with sales leaders, 1,000 plus um, sales reps, it's like 60 of them, and we asked them about you know, data and AI and machine learning, and to a, to a T, they all said, yeah, no, we get it, it's coming, right? But like, you gotta, you know, you gotta show me the money. Now I feel like um, we're getting, we want to invest in it and we want to get closer, right? Because that, that's numbers, that's a big number, right? And, you know, who knows what it is. But, like, if you look, a lot of the, you know, a lot of these ideas are starting, we're starting to have these big conversations about what we can do with data. And for me, that's obviously very exciting. One of the things that I think has happened from a, uh, a data innovation side is, We've actually figured out that um, one of the big problems was how we got the data. The ingestion, whatever you want to call it, the inputs, that was a mess. Sales was primarily the messiest, right? They, they just put in whatever they want, I know that. Um, and so once we started to solve that, then people started to perk up. You know, we haven't fully solved it, but we're getting there. It's pretty exciting, right? We had to, for us, we were looking at this automation of manual entry and sales as a key component for marketing. Think about it, you guys all love uh, activity and contact capture, right, because you, you know, as a, as a feature, you guys didn't realize all these potential engaged contacts that you do now, right? So that's an example of how we will get to share data the one of the first things we solved without saying, hey, everyone as an industry, we need to go solve this, but we did solve was the ability to figure out how we were gonna get this data. Because the ultimate goal is shared communal data, right? And um, we're all, this is, I, I would not find anybody that doesn't agree with that. But how we get there has been mysterious, right? And now we're getting closer. The tech is getting better. I mean, there's so many people out there you can go have this conversation about. And how we get the data is absolutely critical for this, okay? Before we can get to uh, uh, like widespread data decisions. There are pockets of really killer data decisions happening today with AI, which is, should get us all excited and be a precursor for what the potential is. But the key for me, like I said, has been, you know, how do we get the data? The other key is, so there was this article I, I wasn't allowed to put up on screen, that our marketing practice wrote a killer title. It was, Trying to get a 360-degree view of the customer will put you out of business or something like that. And that was really important for me as well, which is not only do we want to figure out how we're going to get the data, let's make sure we make good choices on what data matters. Then we can get that data, and then we can start to get closer to shared data and closer to more widespread data decisions. Because ultimately, our goal is to create 
a customer engagement platform. Now, Gartner's like four or five of these things. This is the one I liked a lot. It's um, basically, I think most of the design you guys have seen before, this comes out of our service group. And the idea is we're gonna take things not uh, out of our systems of record, right? And for me, there's like this, as you guys know, there's this whole universe of all these other tools, et cetera, in here. Um, and we're gonna put them through our systems of intelligence. These, uh, the machines here are gonna be able to spin it out. And then our ultimate goal is to think about the world in an end-to-end -end perspective and to be able to automate and to make better decisions on our orchestration. I think we all get that. I think we're getting there. Um, right now, for me, what I've seen a lot of is really great pockets of really killer um, data-driven uh, machinery, so to speak, coming out of the tech community. I've seen massive innovations on how we collect data, and these are all steps in the right direction for us to go get there. Because that was the other thing I realized when I was putting together this prezo. There's a lot of things that happened in 2020 that were the impetus for change. But for me, one of the big ones is I never, by the way, I never, ever lead with tech. I'm always business process, business strategy first. But tech has advanced so much so that we can do things we never could do before. That sounds so, like, mediocre of a comment, but it's true. When we look at a lot of the things we're trying to do today, tech is leading us down that path in a good way, all right? And that, to me, is like, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's almost a cheap thing to say, but it's not. I mean, these, the innovation has been insane, and the amount of money flowing through the MarTech and sales tech uh, ecosystem, is gonna, we're just going to see it more and more as we try to shoot to become this um, engagement platform. So that's me, guys. I think we're coming out of 2020 with innovation and change and the things we went through with a supercharged, super refined, aligned revenue machine. I just want to thank you guys for letting me come up here and talk. And I do want to say one other thing, which is I believe that once this presentation is over, everyone is going to get a 5% lift on their, on their revenue. I promise you that. And if there's any issues, there, there should be someone here that I can introduce you to that you can go talk to about what things didn't work. But I promise you that. You will get a 5 to 20% lift. I'm just kidding. I just, I heard someone, I mean, honestly, no offense, I heard someone out there talking like that in a sales call, and I was like, oh, my God, bro. Like, don't, don't do that. Anyway, so thank you, everyone, for having me, and I hope you guys have a great time. I look forward to hanging out with everyone later today. All right, folks, that is a wrap on Craig. And it was so great to go back and listen to this keynote again to remind us how 2020 strengthened collective revenue generation for high-performing B2B brands. One of my favorite quotes from the session was when Craig said that it's not enough anymore to just go, yeah, we sell to these companies over here and regular employees because it just doesn't turn. The revelation was just how we can identify target fit accounts with the ideal customer. It was our ability to prioritize. And now we have the data that tells us a plan and how to engage, not just a plan in general. Uh, so that was really great. And, and obviously data is at the heart of every marketing campaign. Um, and it's critical for today's organizations to really take advantage of all the data at their disposal to, to keep those marketing wheels turning and the customers flowing in and happy. You know, it's all about the customer experience these days. Um, so we could really expect 
more actionable sessions like this on the pod this season. So be sure to subscribe to the pod so you don't miss any new episodes. And of course, catch us on Twitter and LinkedIn to share feedback and let us know who else you want to hear from on this podcast this season. Um, Yeah, that's a wrap on me, guys. Thank you so much for for joining me and kicking off season five. Um, And that's it. Yeah, I'll catch you guys next week. Bye.